This is Easy Does It Barbecue with your host, Dan McDonald, owner of Colorado Barbecue Outfitters. If you're ready to dig into some serious talk about all things barbecue, from the moo to the oink, grab a cold one and let's get down to business. Now, here's Dan McDonald. This is Dan McDonald. I'm owner and operator of Colorado Barbecue Outfitters and have been for nine years. Why am I qualified to talk about all of this? Well, I've been barbecuing my whole life. I've written articles for Casual Living and the Gazette, and I've been teaching barbecue classes for nine years. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of Easy Does It Barbecue. We call it Easy Does It Barbecue because we're going to show you the easiest way to do it. We'll talk about all topics barbecue in the next half hour. Hope everybody enjoyed last week's episode, and that was just telling you about the Easy Does It Barbecue show and the format and so on. Today, we're going to jump right into the menu. I want to start by saying that there are many ways to do barbecue. There's hundreds probably of ways to do barbecue. Barbecue is regional. It's next to politics. It's one of the biggest things we argue about in our country. Uh, There is no right way to do barbecue. The answer to the right way to do barbecue is how you or your loved ones like it. There are so many different ways that you can get a different result and every one of them are just as good as the other. I personally won't argue about barbecue. I have people come into my store and say, Dan, I heard you type or say something that I don't agree with. And I'll tell them that's fine. If you like the way you do it, please continue to do it. If great grandpappy told you to do something a certain way, you've done it for generations and it's worked, then please, by all means, keep doing it. What I'm trying to implore to everyone is barbecue can be easy and I'm giving you the basics. I'm giving you a foundation to barbecue or smoke whatever meat or food you would like and then you can experiment and go on from there. All right, let's go ahead and get started and talk about the menu, so to speak. Today's topic is brisket, probably the most popular type of meat, I think, in this country to barbecue. Obviously, we can do all kinds of pork and poultry, but today we're going to talk about brisket, which is obviously a form of beef comes from the cow, as I believe most people know. Let's talk a little bit about where a brisket comes from. As I said, it's from the cow. The brisket is basically, in simple terms, the breast muscle or the chest muscle of a cow. There's two per cow. There's a left and a right. Some of the things that you'll need to do a brisket is, of course, a brisket. And we'll talk about what you're going to find in the grocery stores when you go in later. You'll need some foil or butcher paper. Maybe, and I'll explain why I say maybe later. You'll need an injection. You'll need rub. You'll need insulated food gloves. An aluminum pan with a grate over the top will help, and maybe a spritzer bottle if you'd like. The one thing I will tell you is a must is a digital thermometer. That is one that I won't say maybe. I will say you need a good digital thermometer to track the temperature of whatever you're cooking your food in and the food itself. I'll let you gather those materials right now. Some of the terms you'll hear this week is smoke, which as you know means smoking foods, introducing smoke flavor to certain foods. You'll hear the term fat cap. I'll talk about what that means. You'll hear the term stall, Texas crutch. What is a smoke ring? Rubs. You'll hear the term bark. That's very important with brisket. A brisket is referred to as a packer. And what a packer means is it's made up of two muscles in the brisket. The more popular flat muscle, which runs along the bottom, it's thinner, has a grain to it. And then the point muscle, it's oftentimes incorrectly described as the decal. The point muscle is fattier, 
than the flat muscle. If you're having carved brisket somewhere or made it yourself, you're probably having the flat muscle. If you're having chopped brisket or those very popular burnt ends, you're having the point muscle. Now, it's very rarely that you will find the point sold by itself. It's very fatty. Typically, what you will find in the store is either the packer that I just described or the flat muscle on its own. Now, you have to be very careful when you're buying the flat muscle on its own. It comes two ways. It'll come trimmed or untrimmed. If you are truly wanting to smoke a barbecue brisket, you want to get the untrimmed flat muscle. What is the trimmed flat muscle for, you ask? That is generally used to make things like corned beef, Brisket, corned beef comes from brisket. So does pastrami. All pastrami is, is smoked corned beef. So when you go to the grocery store, look for either the packer, which is actually cheaper per pound. And quite frankly, the reason it is is the butcher has to do less work when they carve it off. Untrimmed muscle is a very popular one to buy if you have a smaller family or you just want to do a anywhere from a four to 10 pound brisket. And it's also less work to cook just a flat muscle as it is to do the packer and takes less time. I want to talk a little bit about the history of brisket. A couple hundred years ago, we actually did not know how to cook it. Most butchers and most restaurants back then threw it out, believe it or not. And many of the poor, and in the South that ended up being slaves, would take that meat and they figured out that if you cook it over an extremely long period of time, it actually breaks down the collagen, breaks down the muscle tissue and becomes a very delicious type of meat to eat. So we can thank that origin for brisket. We'd probably be throwing it away still, although now you're paying as much as $10 a pound for it. The difference between the point and the flat, again, is the flat is generally sliced. The point is generally chopped. So if you go into a restaurant and get a chopped brisket sandwich, you're more than likely getting the point. Now, the restaurants are going to buy the whole packer because, again, they pay less money for it. And they're going to figure out what to do with every aspect of that brisket from an economic standpoint. I want to talk briefly about burn ends. We're not going to get into super detail on today's episode about burn ends. I'll save that for another one. But burn ends are just that. When in Kansas City, when brisket was being made, they noticed that there were, well, burn ends on the brisket as they came off the smoker. And a lot of times they cut that off. Arthur Bryant's restaurant, as many of you may be familiar with, as people were waiting in line to get their food or to get their brisket, they would cut these burnt ends, exactly what it is. It was the end of the brisket that had been a little overcooked and they would hand it out for free as a snack to people waiting in line. There was a gentleman named Calvin Thillen that wrote a, believe it or not, in a Playboy article in 19 1972 about these burn ends. He tried them and blew them away and burn ends took off. And now today burn ends have been made from virtually all kinds of meat. There are pork belly burn ends. There are all different kinds of beef cut burn ends that can be made. But mainly we're going to focus on the packer and the flat and the point today. I want to talk about buying a brisket. When you go into the store, whether it's Costco, Sam's, Walmart, King Super, Safeway, or your local butcher. Obviously, your local butcher is going to have specific cuts of meat, and you ask for it, and you'll get it. At some of the other big box store butchers, you're pretty much stuck with what they wrap and put out on the shelf. If you see a packer, it's going to be cheaper per pound. It won't be cheaper overall because it is a much bigger cut of meat. It's going to have a lot of fat on it. And yes, you're going to trim a considerable amount off unless you do something else with the fat that comes off. For example, I save it and it goes into my sausage when I make it. Not everybody will do that. So I do understand that it's hard to throw away a lot of fat that you paid good money for.
What you're looking for in a brisket is a nice dark red, maroon-like coloring, preferably marbling in it. This will tell you it has some good fat content. Unlike a lot of foods that we're told fat is bad, in the case of barbecue, we actually like fat. It tends to render down as we cook it. It provides flavor within the meat. You want to look for fat that's white. Obviously, if it's yellowing or gray, stay away from it. Most briskets in the store are cryovac'd or vacuum sealed. You want to look for a good seal. If there's air in the bag, I would pass to the next one. We do want some fat because, again, that gives us taste. So do not be afraid to buy something with a little fat on it. If it has a considerable amount of fat, you probably will trim some of that down. Now that you've gotten your brisket, you've brought it home, you've taken it out of the cryovac, let's talk about preparation and what you need to do to get ready to cook that brisket. There's an argument out right now on whether or not you should rinse your meat when you take it out of the package. I am of the belief that it is okay to rinse meat. Some arguments indicate that if you rinse the meat, you might be sending bacteria around your kitchen sink. But guys, just know when I rinse my meat, I'm using basically just a very small amount, a drip of water from the faucet. I'm not turning the faucet on full blast and blasting that red liquid that often is confused with blood. It's actually called myoglobin and it's just the juice from within the muscle meat. It's not blood. Don't tell your kids it's blood. You'll turn them into vegans. So just rinse off the meat. What we're doing is rinsing off any bone fragments that might be left from the butcher. Maybe rinsing some of that myoglobin off, but actually that myoglobin is going to produce something later that mistakenly people think is very important in a barbecue. It's a myth and I'll explain. Once you've done a very light rinse of the meat, now it's time to determine what we want to trim. If we left all that fat on there, the smoke and the flavor of the rub you're going to put outside will not penetrate the meat. So we do want to trim some of that off. There is a gentleman named Aaron Franklin that owns Franklin Barbecue down in Austin, Texas that is considered the godfather of briskets. Aaron Franklin cooks more briskets in one morning than literally most of us will do in our lifetime. He has a very intricate way of trimming his briskets and you can go on YouTube and pull it up. Takes him about 20 minutes to do it. And that's fine if you want to do that. But remember, Mr. Franklin makes millions of dollars off of his briskets and he is not doing backyard barbecue like you and I are. He's doing it on a commercial production. So he's trimming them so that the heat and the smoke literally aerodynamically flow over the brisket, which helps his cook. He's literally catering to hundreds, if not a thousand people a day. You are probably not going to do that. What I do with trimming, and I think it can be this simple, and I teach this in my Best of Barbecue class. If you go to my website, 719bbq.com, and click on the classes link, you'll see when I'm holding the classes. And I will go over all of this material and then some in those classes. In order to do that, come in to see me in my store at 5921 North Academy. I'm on the northeast corner of Vickers and Academy, Colorado Barbecue Outfitters. You can call the store at 719-465-1041, or you can email me at info at 719bbq.com, or you can send me a message on any of the social media platforms, and I'll get that. After I've trimmed, basically I take my fingers and I feel the fat. If it's very hard, like a callus, it gets cut out. That will not render and the smoke will not penetrate it. So we want to get rid of that absolutely from the brisket. So again, if it's hard like a callus, cut it out. If it's soft, then trim it down to about a quarter or half inch. It doesn't have to look pretty. You don't have to get a ruler out to do that. Just go by eyesight. 
and that's all there is to trimming a brisket. It really does not have to be that difficult. After we've trimmed our brisket, we're ready to get it ready for a rub. And all a rub is, is basically, it's just a simple spice is all it is. Most of you have used the most common rub called the Dalmatian rub, which is salt and pepper. We've all used that probably on our food at some point. Barbecue rubs are simply a base of salt, and then they add flavoring to it. And that flavoring can be anything you like. It can be hot, spicy, it can be sweet, it can have a peppery based, it can be more salt, it can be anything you'd like. There are literally a million different combinations of rub. The rub that I sell the most of at my store is called the John Henry Texas Brisket Rub. And in nine years, I've sold more of that than any other rub for brisket. I have quite a few offerings, but that is what I call the no-brainer if you want to get an over-the-counter rub. Or you may make one yourself. So once we've trim the brisket, we have a couple choices to make. We can put the rub directly on it, or we can use what's called a binder. All a binder simply does is hold the rub to the meat a little better, and when your end result comes off the smoker, it'll give you a better what's called a bark, which is that crunchy outside that we like to bite into after we've sliced that brisket up. So the binder can be made up of a few things. The most popular thing that people use, and what I use, is just simple, cheap yellow mustard. Do not go out and buy Grey Poupon. You won't taste it. You're just wasting your money. A nice light coating, very light coating of yellow mustard will do the trick. Some people use extra virgin olive oil. I've passed on that because I think it inhibits the rub from penetrating the meat. Almost acts like a wetsuit, if you will. The latest craze is using mayonnaise as a binder, and I haven't tried that because Quite frankly, it just didn't sound appealing to me. So those of you that have tried it, I'd love for you to get back with me on feedback and I'll share that on one of the later shows. In order to do that, come in to see me in my store at 5921 North Academy. I'm on the northeast corner of Vickers and Academy, Colorado Barbecue Outfitters. I'd love to hear your questions as we can use those as future content for the show and we can set aside a segment at the end of the show called BBQ FAQ and we will address all of the questions you may have going forward. As I said, a rub can be made of anything. If you're from Texas, you do it simple. You just do salt and pepper. They like to keep it very basic, which is a great way to do a brisket. I personally like a little fla- extra flavor on there. I like a little color, and you can get that from all kinds of different rubs. You can make them yourselves, or if you're lazy like me, just buy them over the counter. Many people think that a rub offers flavor, but there's actually a scientific method that's happening when you're putting a rub on meat. You'll notice the first ingredient on just about every rub is salt. Salt as most of us know, is made up of sodium chloride. When the sodium chloride contacts the surface of the meat, what happens is inside the meat, there are protein cells. Those proteins, if you can picture in your head, look like a slinky, like a spiral. What happens is those proteins draw the salt into the meat and it loosens those spirals. And when those spirals are loosened, it also loosens up liquid within the meat. Most muscle meat content is about 80 to 90 percent water, believe it or not. There's also some proteins in there and some other things, but a lot of it is water. And we want that to loosen up. We want that water to come out. It's going to moisturize the meat as we cook it. After you've put your rub on, and by the way, there's no 
right or wrong on rub? You can put as little or as much as you want. I get that question quite a bit at the store. Come in to see me in my store at 5921 North Academy. I'm on the northeast corner of Vickers and Academy, Colorado Barbecue Outfitters. You can call the store at 719-465-1041, or you could email me at info at 719bbq.com, or you can send me a message on any of the social media platforms, and I'll get that. I'm of the opinion there's no such thing as too much rub. I put quite a bit. You can even multi-layer rub. You can use three or four different rub products and put layers down to change your flavor profiles as you start to become more of an experienced cook. Once you've put the rub on, you'll want to wrap it in cellophane or saran wrap as most of you know it, and then you'll stick it in the refrigerator. What's happening is we're going to let that sit for about eight hours, or most people let it sit overnight. What's happening is that chemical reaction I just explained to you where sodium chloride is being drawn into the meat, and then eventually it's coming back to the surface. The next day when you take the cellophane off, you'll notice your rub went from dry to almost like a goo and that's why we'll get our smoker and everyone i'm going to use the term smoker generically it could be your oven it could be your wood pellet grill your charcoal grill your electric smoker or virtually anything that you can find to provide consistent low heat and or smoke to it so it's the day of the smoke we're going to pull the brisket out of the refrigerator i hope i don't have to tell you to remove the cellophane i think that's a mistake you'll only make but remove the cellophane from the meat. And if you want, add more rub. There's no reason you can't. Get your smoker up to temp. What is common temp, you ask? 180 to 250 is the typical temperature for barbecuing. I'm about 225. There's no science behind that. My wood pellet grill has a high smoke setting on it uh, at 225, and it basically works perfect for me. But you can use whatever temperature you like. Some of the quote-unquote pros will go all the way up as high as 300, believe it or not. So we'll put it on the smoker and we'll let it go. We have a digital thermometer that we're going to check it. It's going to take probably quite a few hours to get to a certain temp, and that temp that I'm shooting for is 160. Once that meat gets to 160, now I'm going to do the next step. I'm going to call that the turn, and what that means is most people are going to wrap that brisket in order to get it done a little quicker and help it keep juicy. Now, there are three ways you can do a brisket when you're smoking it. You cannot wrap it at all. Our ultimate goal is to get to 200 degrees internal temp. That is when the brisket is done. It's 200 degrees internal temp. Aaron Franklin will tell you scientifically it's 203. You can go to 203 if you'd like. Do not go below 195 and do not go over 205 as you're just increasing your risk of the brisket being chewy and or overdone. So again, we're going to put it on the grill smoker, whichever you want to call it, and we're going to smoke it to a temp of 160. Now, when meat hits about 130 to 170, it goes through something called the stall. And what that means is you've thrown your brisket on the smoker, you've gone to mow the grass, you've gone in to take a nap, you've got your digital thermometer tracking your temp, and it hits 140, 150, 160, and all of a sudden it stops. And you think that your thermometer is broken, you think something has happened, and you check, everything's fine, and you're wondering to yourself, what is going on? Why is my temperature not going up? What's happening is the meat is in the stall. Now what that means is meat is very much like us. When we get overheated, we sweat. And that is a way for our bodies to cool down. Well, muscle meat is exactly the same way. When it goes through the evaporative cooling, it starts to sweat. And that is what's called the stall. Now, you can ride through the stall. If you have plenty of charcoal, electricity, pellets, 
Whatever you're using, you can ride through it. It will take a while. It can take hours to get through the stall. What most people have done over the years is what's called Texas Crutch. If you listened to my show last week, you heard me talk a little bit about what Texas Crutch is. Basically, it's just a way that we wrap the meat to get it to stay moist and to cook a little quicker. It got its origin back in the tropical regions where they used to wrap meat in banana leaves and they realized it made it more moist and it also helped with cook time. Once you get through the stall and you've made your choice to wrap it, now you've got another decision. Do I wrap it in foil? Do I wrap it in butcher paper? Foil, as you can imagine, will get it done a little quicker. It'll hold the juices in better. Butcher paper, what that will do is allow the meat to sort of breathe as it cooks. So for those of you that like that crunchy bark, boy, you want to get that butcher paper and you can get that at my store as well. I'm one of the only places in the front range to buy that kind of butcher paper. Come in to see me in my store at 5921 North Academy. I'm on the northeast corner of Vickers and Academy. It's called pink or peach butcher paper. It's usually referred to. So you can wrap it in foil. You can leave it on its own or you can wrap it in butcher paper, whichever you want. I encourage every everyone to try all three over the course of the summer and see which one you like. So if you recall, I mentioned that the brisket has fat on it and you've probably trimmed some of that. If you've trimmed that soft fat down to about a half inch, let's say, we're going to call that the fat cap. Okay. And it runs the entire length of the brisket and you will have seen it by now during your preparation. That fat cap, there is a myth that says that when it's subjected to heat, it renders and the liquids start to go down into the meat, making it moist. And that's not true at all. It does not. It'll render around the meat. But if you can picture the muscle fibers in that meat are so tight, like a very tightly woven piece of cloth that it will not allow the moisture to go inside. It will go around. So if someone tells me, where do I put a fat cap when I put my brisket on the smoker, Dan? Do I put it up, down? The answer is put it towards the heat. We want that fat cap to protect our meat. We want it to insulate a little bit of any direct heat. So if you're using an old school charcoal grill and you've pushed your charcoal over to one side, we're always going to cook indirect with barbecue, as I mentioned last week. So if you've got that charcoal over to one side and your brisket sitting on the other, put the fat where the heat is penetrating the most. That is the answer to where the fat cap should go. So again, at the turn, you can wrap it. At this point, guys, once you've wrapped it, if you've wrapped it in paper, or foil. There's no sense wasting any more wood or wood pellets depending on how you're cooking it. Put it in your oven. Unless it's 100 degrees out and you don't want to heat up your oven in the in the heat of summer, there's no sin in finishing your barbecue in the oven once you've wrapped it. There's no more smoke that's going to penetrate that meat. At that point, you're just looking at braising or roasting it. Now, a real quick tip call this a little barbecue tip from Dan, right before you wrap it, inject it. You'll notice I didn't talk about injecting before when the meat was raw, and that's because when the meat is subjected to the heat again, the pores open up, and a lot of that moisture will cook out. You'll lose a lot of that flavor. If you inject it at what I call the turn right before you wrap it, it'll take your brisket to the next level. Whether you finish it in your smoker, your grill, or your oven, what you are shooting for is a 200 degree internal temp. That is your goal for a brisket, 200 degrees. I do not talk about time in barbecue because unfortunately every meat is different and that process I just explained could take you 15 hours, it could take you 10 hours. There is a guideline that says one and a half hours per pound, but I'm going to tell you right now guys, using the term guideline is very loose on that. Once we've hit 200 degrees, if it's in your oven, turn your oven off and walk away. Let that meat rest as long as you can. I've let it rest as long as three to four hours before, and when it's wrapped in the foil especially, it'll hold its temp for hours. Once you've let it rest, simply get out your knife 
and carve it. Always want to make sure you carve muscle meat against the grain. Before you put your rub on, you will take a look at that meat and you'll notice that there's a grain, almost like a wood grain, and we're going to carve that against the grain because our human jaws will chew it much easier if you do it that way. I want to talk real quickly about the myth of a smoke ring. On social media, you see many pictures of people showing off their smoke ring, and there's nothing wrong with that. But just know, guys, the science does not back up. First of all, it's called a smoke ring, and it doesn't even come from the actual smoke in the smoker. When wood burns, it gives off chemicals nitric oxide and carbon monoxide. You know carbon monoxide is the dangerous stuff we want to stay away from. I told you that muscle meat beef muscle meat has myoglobin. It's a red juice that we see a lot of times when we buy meat at the store. It's mistaken for blood. It is not blood. Blood is in the circulatory system. This is called myoglobin. It's that blood is actually hemoglobin, not myoglobin will be inside the meat. When you take the nitric oxide and the carbon monoxide chemicals and that meets the myoglobin, that's what makes the supposed smoke ring. The actual smoke you see coming off has nothing to do with the smoke ring, which I think is very ironic. Let's talk a little bit about wood you use. I get that question all the time. Guys, the use of wood is no different than the use of rub or injection. It's all personal preference. You can use whatever whatever kind of wood you like. If you're in Texas, you use mesquite. Why? Because it's a weed down there and they have it readily available. I grew up in the Midwest. We had oak, hickory, cherry wood laying around on the ground. That's what we used. So a lot of times preference of wood is very regional. Most restaurant, barbecue restaurants use oak wood. The reason they do is it's readily available in our country and it burns hot, which means you actually use less over a longer cook. So it's more about an economical choice for restaurants than it is a flavor choice. That is as easy as brisket really is. I think brisket gets a bad rap of being very hard to do. And I would argue I don't think it is, as you just heard. To wrap up, I want to just again emphasize that there are a hundred different ways to do brisket. And the way I've just walked you through is probably the most basic to get you started. I want you to do trial and error. Try different ways. Use my method and expand on it. I mentioned I threw in one tip of injecting it at the turn, as I said. There's all kinds of ways you can do, but whatever you and your loved ones like, stick with it. Barbecue is all about trial and error, and that's some of the fun of cooking barbecue. So this is Easy Does It Barbecue. I am Dan McDonald, owner and operator of Colorado Barbecue Outfitters. Have a great week, and keep smoking at its peak. Thanks for listening to Easy Does It Barbecue, brought to you by Colorado Barbecue Outfitters, specializing in pellet grills, charcoal grills, electric smokers, sauces, rubs, and barbecue accessories. Online at 719BBQ.com. See you next Saturday at 1 for Easy Does It Barbecue. And listen to the podcast on Podbean.